Hey, this is Pastor Brian. I want to welcome you to the Reach Church Podcast. We hope this message helps and encourages you wherever you are in life and brings you closer to Jesus. We hope you enjoy the message. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 14 through 18. And uh, I mean, he just comes straight out of the gate pretty heavy. Um, but I think that, you know, you've heard this phrase, you know, um, it's like, and, and it kind of gets misunderstood. It's like we, when we talk about going into the world, and it's like being in the world but not of the world, and it's like sometimes we can get so religious with it that it's like we don't intermingle with sinful people. And th- that's completely opposite of what the kingdom teaches. It's that we go into the world to, you, to be the light in the world, in the dark world. And sometimes as religious people, I mean as spiritual people, we get in and like, oh, I can't be around them. You can if you're a bright light. The whole point is to be a light in the world, to transform the world so that you can bring hope and purpose into a dark world, right? The point of a light is to, to, to eradicate and to push darkness back, right? Like this is why you have a flashlight. When you use the flashlight, you shine it into dark places and it, it extinguishes the darkness. That's what this text is really talking about. And a lot of things were happening in this church, a lot of idolatry, a lot of ways of their world, the, the, the empire, the, the, the different things of, of the culture were influencing the church more than the church was influencing the culture. And so Paul begins to write this, and this is what he says. In, six, in, in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14, he says, Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the harmony, and I'm sorry, what harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with unbelievers? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. And this is where he begins to to say, I will live in them and walk among them, I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. And I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. All right, it's heavy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the truth that is in your word. God, that is not just words written on a page. And so, Father, I pray that your breath would breathe on the sermon, that your breath would breathe into the hearts of your people, God, that you would bring life and hope into each and every one of them, God. And I thank you, God, that as that happens, Lord, that you'd be made more famous today than you were yesterday. You can say amen to that. Uh, This morning, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The title is called Undiluted undiluted, and I was thinking about as I was reading this, and I don't know if you've ever been on a nice, hot, warm, sunny day, but you've got a Coca-Cola, and you pop it open, you pour it in a glass, and then you put ice in it, and when you first begin to drink it, right, like there is something about ice with Coke, and it, Coke Zero, whatever your, whatever your drink is, right, and like it's amazing, it's potent, it's strong, but as the warm weather begins to heat up the ice, it begins to dilute the drink. Right, and then if that's why you always see these glasses that are like half empty, and when you look in them, they're like, you know, that much water's at the top, because people finally got to the place where they're not enjoying what they once started off enjoying, because it got polluted, it got diluted, it got where the potency left, 
and it wasn't as strong. It's, you know, you'll see someone with a coffee, an iced coffee, and it's like a little bit of coffee, a lot of bit of water. And it's because it gets diluted. And here, you know, Paul is, is confronting straight out like, hey, like this is your responsibility as believers. And I think sometimes we get, you know, when we, we begin to live life and we begin to be like, well, I, I want my, my flesh gets in the way of what my desires are versus what God's desires are for me. Anybody ever been there? You've had desires, and those desires sometimes become more important or more crucial than God's desires. That's how, dilution, that's how things get diluted, is when my ways are more important, they're more valid than God's ways. And here he's talking to me, he says, so how do you get diluted? How do you lose your potency? As a believer, how do you lose that passion, that desire? Y'all remember when you were first saved and you got saved and you were running to hell with a water pistol trying to get whoever you could out of hell? Anybody remember that? You were so zealous, like, I don't care how stupid I act or sound, I am just wanting to get people to know Jesus Christ. What happened with that water pistol and that pursuit to hell to try to pull people out, right? That what happens is as you begin to live life, the world, the culture begins to tell you, you're crazy, you're radical, even Christians. Dude, you don't need to be that zealous. And here he's confronting, this is what happens. This is how your life becomes diluted. This is how you become, you lose your potency as a believer. And this is what he starts off with. Notice what the very first thing that he hits on is relationships. He says right here, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. So right there, out of the gate, to dilute, what, what causes your life to get diluted is based on the relationships that you have in your life. Whether you, whether you are, are a potent believer or kind of beginning to become diluted has a lot to do with how much influence an unbeliever has in your ear. So is, and, and so he begins to talk about this and he begins to break this down. He's saying, hey, how can righteousness... And this is all intermingling. So this isn't like, hey, I had a friend and like I interact with him occasionally. No, this is like, this is partnership. This is like com consistent interaction. He's saying, hey, how, how can righteousness partner with wickedness? And for us, it's really hard when we can know someone that we love that doesn't know Jesus to consider them wicked. But that's how Jesus identifies people that are separated from him. And so what we begin to do is we begin to have more compassion for them than Jesus does. And we begin to befriend them. We begin to love them. And it's not that we shouldn't love this, the lost. We should. Without us loving the lost, we will never reach them. It requires that, but it requires a different type of love. Not an embracing, like, I'm just going to accept you how you are. It's a love that is willing to confront the truth of what's going on. So then he goes on and he says, how can light live with darkness? Now, I read all this, but I wanted to read it out of the, the message version for a moment because I like how it kind of brings things uh, up in a little bit different light. It says, don't become partners with those who reject God. That, that's a whole different conversation. Because understand, anybody that is, is not with God accepting Christ is rejecting Christ. Until they come to know Christ, they're rejecting him. And then he goes on and says, how can you make a partnership out of, night, out of right and wrong? And this is where he goes. He says, that's not partnership, that's war. 
Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? I love that imagery. Like sometimes we forget that Jesus and, and, and the devil are not walking hand in hand, hanging out and saying, hey man, how did you do today taking the world the wrong way? And Jesus is like, you know, the devil's like, hey, how did you do today taking people to the kingdom? Like they're not hanging out with each other. They're at war. And we have to understand that we live in a world that we are at war with, that we are called to reach. And when you are at war with something, you do whatever you can to, 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 to put yourself at risk for the sake of others. And that whole separation thing that that word was is that if we don't separate ourselves, we will never, we can, we can never identify which side of the line we're on. And so we have to identify ourselves. And then he goes on and it says this, just do, do trust and mistrust hold hands? Who would think of setting up pagan idols in God's holy temple? But that's exactly what we are, each of us, a temple in whom God lives. God himself put it this way. I live in them, move into them. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. So leave the corruption and compromise. See, I love how he identifies it as corruption and compromise. See, what dilutes you is actually compromise. How have you compromised your faith in the last 10 years, five years, two years, seven months? How have you compromised something that you would have died for and, 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 and fought for six months ago, eight months ago, a year, but now you're like, you know, I get it. I feel for them. See, that's how the world works is it's wanting to influence and persuade you so leave the corruption and compromise. Leave it for good, says God. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. I'll be a father to you. You'll be sons and daughters to me, the word of the master God. Here's what I want to propose to you is this. Is this first point is this, is that what you value is revealed in what you team up with. You can't say that you value God, but yet you are teaming up with things that are not of him. What are you teaming up with? In other words, it's like we, we may have a relationship. It's like maybe, you know, you're dating somebody and you're, you're saved, but they're not saved. You're teaming up with someone you shouldn't be teaming up with. What you're doing is you're trying to play the role of God. Well, I'll, find, I'll get them saved. And then once I get them saved, no, you let Jesus do the work and then you can partner with them. You may be in a partnership with somebody that's an unbeliever as a, a business partner. Real dangerous. What he's saying is, is we should not partner because how many of you know an unbeliever doesn't have the same integrity and character as a believer should? They don't have the same values and beliefs and behaviors as a believer does. So he's saying don't team up with these things. And so what you value, what I value, the reason that I don't partner with these things is because I put a value on my relationship with Jesus and out of that value system is what I allow myself to team up with it can be an incredible opportunity for my flesh and for my for my future on this earth but how many of you know my value system is eternal not temporal and so I build my value system and what I partner with not on what is temporal but what is on eternal and so many of us were like oh man God will forgive me God will give me grace and we build we build and we take, we take stances on, on something on, under the grace of God instead of the wisdom and, the, and, and the, the conviction of the Lord. And so I think it's really important because how do we live for God in a world 
and a culture that refuses to honor him. I mean, if you watch any commercial, any TV show, any of those things that are made from the world, how many of you know they're not honoring God? So how do you live in a world that doesn't honor God, a culture that doesn't honor God? You have to be intentional about how you live. You cannot change a world that you're not going to be intentionally after to, to, to pursue and to love with and to, to allow your life to transform it. See, the potential of who you become, just think about that. The potential of who you become is directly connected to who you associate with. You are becoming who you hang out with. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15:33, right? Bad company corrupts good character. Because if you hang out with the wrong person over a certain amount of time, their core values, their beliefs, their behaviors begin to get on you. And something that you used to give your life for, now you're like, I mean, that was a little extreme. I was being crazy. I was being radical. No, maybe you were following God's word and the world has persuaded you to compromise it. But it didn't come in, you know, bright red flag that this is dangerous. It's amazing that even in the natural realm, we have things that say caution and danger and all of these different, you know, labels on things. The enemy is never going to give you a danger sticker or a caution sticker. He's going to do everything he can to lure you in to put the green light on and say, hey, come on over. This is why it's so important to know God's word so that you understand, okay, I'm starting. I can associate with things with the intention of influencing it. So in other words, it's not you going into the world and be like, I can't be friends with you. I can't do that. That's pointless of being a Christian. Jesus went into the world all the time. But he went with the intention of changing it and influencing it. Not to be changed and influenced by it. And you can even see as Jesus lived his life how many people tried to come in and tried to to change his value system. To try to change his belief system. What did he do? He, He bucked it. Because he was convinced in, in, his, in his identity. He was convinced in his assignment. And this is where we have to become really convinced of our assignment. Y'all with me? All right. So, so your faith, here's the thing, is that the whole idea of, of the world system is to get you to dilute your faith. To weaken, to lose its potency. Because how many of you know if you lose your faith, you weaken your faith, then you stop moving in the direction that the Lord wants you to go. You kind of back away at real tough conversations, at the way the culture's moving. You kind of be like, okay, I can see that. I mean, that's, yeah, I am being a little. And you begin to back away from something that the Lord has been calling you and, and, and burdening you to do. And so this is an important thing. So your faith becomes diluted or distilled, really based on who and what you associate with. So when you, think, when you hear that word associate, you can automatically seem tend to go to like a person. But you associate with a lot of things through news, through TV, through music, through relationships, through feelings and emotions of others. Those are all things that allow you to associate with things that are counter God. So how you, begin to, how you begin to associate with them determines how diluted or distilled your faith is becoming. Let me ask you a question. Has your faith become stronger in what Scripture says or diluted? How, have you been able to be like, well, I mean, that's what it used to say, but I really think this is what the Lord meant by that. 
we don't get the privilege of interpreting scripture how, we, how our flesh wants. And the world will teach you, oh, this is what it actually means, instead of confronting it. You know, you begin to, how, this is how I know if you're getting deluded, have you begin to ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit? Like, ah. And you kind of just kind of downplay it. It's like, no, that's just me. Or is it that, that alarm going off and you're like, it's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you're starting to, your faith is starting to get diluted. You're starting to move away from things that you really had a strong belief in. You really held the values of Scripture really dear to heart. And now it's kind of like, well, you know. These are really crucial points and aspects of are living out our faith. You know, diluted faith is usually the result of an environment. An environment that, that we allow ourselves in that refuses to honor God. You get yourself into an environment. It may be a workplace situation. It may be a, co- it may be a sports situation. It may, be, it may be an employee thing. Like, we get into certain environments, and those environments begin to weigh down on us. You know, it's like if, I, I'm just getting this Ill imagery, like it's like an environment is weighty. And it's like if I just lean on her, first, it's not too bad. But if I spent the rest of the hour here, she's going to begin to break down unless she does something about what's pressing against her. And this is what environment does, is environment presses against your convictions, your belief system, your values as a believer, and it pushes on them. And you just be like, oh, okay, this is just... And you just accept it. In environment, what you have to begin to realize is separation. No, that's what she does. She says she has to kind of push, she has to push the environment off of her and say, okay, no, no, no. That's trying to, that's trying to persuade me to, to degrade and devalue what the king of kings says is crucial and important in my life. And when something is weighty, that environment, the whole point of that environment is to get you to bow to its ways. You know, your theology, think about how your, your theology, your belief system in Scripture has changed and evolved. Over the last year, mine's evolved, mine's changed, because as I go through things, I have to go back through Scripture and become either more solidified in that theology, or I back away from it based on how I view and perceive things. And as we see a world right now that that there, there are value systems, there are beliefs, there are things that are happening in the world that once, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, every person that was a, Christ, a Christian would have stood up against certain things. But what happens is the weight of that environment begins to weigh on you, and you see it here, and you see it there, and you see it there, and it just becomes normalized. We should not allow a culture of the world to normalize our faith. We should fight against that by using Scripture and saying, okay, my theology is going to become stronger, more clear, more defined, more intentional. And as I allow that theology to create, be created in me, then I know how to fight in a world that is against God and honoring Him. And so your, your theology is formed through what you allow to influence you. What you allow to get in your mind and in your heart ultimately creates your theology. So whether you allow the scripture to speak to your mind and in your heart and the voice of God or you allow other things. Because I'm sure every one of you have been like, oh man, I'm just being judgmental. And maybe you are. 
But oftentimes, sometimes scripture can make you feel and seem like you're judgmental because, because that's what it does. And here's the deal is that truth will offend people. But here's the deal is that I don't go living my life to offend people. I use love. And if somebody doesn't want to accept the change, that's on them. But I have to do it with love. I don't come into, a, into to somebody's life and be like, you need to change. All I do is I let my light shine on them. And eventually they can come to the light or they can resist it. But that light will eventually offend them and say, look, would you quit shining the light in my eyes? And what do they do? They finally have to close their eyes and leave and walk away or they have to embrace the light and the power of what it's called to do. So let me ask you a question. I don't care if you've been taking notes or not, but I want you to, I want you to write this question down. Because I believe that when we were talking about being diluted and undiluted, how do you know? How do you know if your life has been being diluted, your faith has been, been, been kind of broken down? Here's how you know. This is a question I want to ask you. How comfortable with sin have you become? How comfortable with sin have you become? Because how comfortable you have become with sin lets you know how deluded your faith has become. Are you more accepting of it and does it offend you? Because see, here's what happens is the world wants you to get okay, become okay with just, it's sin. It's okay, it's, it's just whatever. Instead of recognizing it and saying, okay, Aren't you thankful that Jesus, didn't see, that Jesus didn't see sin and be like, oh, it's just part of, it is what it is, man. Aren't you thankful that Jesus became the resolution, the redeemer of our sin? So therefore, we are representations of Jesus on the earth and in the earth, that we are supposed to be in the world but not of the world. We are supposed to be Jesus in the world, rescuing a generation, rescuing people from darkness into light. That's what the Bible and it's like, how, why is this so important? Because if sin doesn't offend you, then you will not reach hurting people. You will not reach broken people. You will justify, well, they're good people. Good people go to hell every single day. I just, my, I just confused my daughter. What? <laughs> That's what good people think. What? The reality is, is that this is what we... See, here's, here, this says a lot. If sin doesn't offend you anymore and you're just like, oh, that, that's, sin offends me. It appalls me. I, I can't sit by and just be quiet about someone who's living in sin if they're going to be in relationship with me. I'm not going to walk up to somebody in the, in the grocery store unless thus says the Lord asked me to and call them out about their lifestyle, about what they're doing. Because that's not relational. That's not, I, I know some of these guys who stand on the street corners telling people that they're going to go to hell and all this stuff. I'm like, Probably, I mean, it may work for some, but it probably ruins it for a lot. And so here's what we have to be. We have to be very strategic about how we're called to separate. We're not called to separate to leave, our, to leave the world. We're called to separate so that we understand the power and the conviction of the Holy Spirit that's working in us so that we can go into a dark world and say, okay, hey, I'm going to try to find these types of people and love them into the kingdom. But if you don't value the fact that someone's living in sin, and you're like, you're, you're befriending them, and there's a husband, and I mean, there's a guy and a girl, and they're sleeping together, and they're cohabitating, and they're just doing whatever, 
and you're like, oh man, you're doing great, you're fine, you're, God loves you, that's a problem. Because that's not what scripture teaches. And so we have to be way more intentional about confronting certain things in our lives so that, so that we can help people love them out of where they're at and so call them into what they're called to be in. The more that you fall in love with the ideology and the ways of this world, the more you will try to justify it. Do you find yourself justifying sin for people? Because I don't think that we should have more compassion for people than Jesus does. Jesus never comes to the rich young ruler. Perfect example. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, hey, good teacher. And God says, why do you call me good? There's only one good and that good is God. And then he says, how can I have eternal life? And he says, he said, I've done all of these things. Do you know what Jesus does? He doesn't say, okay, I'm glad you've done all of these things. You're good. He knew that his idol was what he had. And because God, Jesus loved him so much, he says, if you let this go, you can enter the kingdom. And what we in our humanity, what we want to do is be like, bro, you've done all those things. You're good. Jesus will accept you. Come on in. You're not Lord and you're not Savior. You don't get to help tell people what they can and cannot have unless it lines up with Scripture. And what happens is when you get seduced by the world and you get seduced by Babylon, you begin to accept what everything is happening in the world as, well, it's okay, God's going to love them into it. We should not have more compassion than Jesus does. We should, we should allow what he hates and what he loves to be our value system. And there have been moments where my heart hurts for somebody and I want to give in to their lifestyle, to their, to their sins, to the ways that they're trying to live life. Because here's the deal. Anybody that's living in sin is living in idolatry. They're, they're using something else to be their savior instead of Jesus. Aren't you glad that God didn't let, just let you stay in your sin? Aren't you thankful that he called you out of that into his marvelous light? That he said, hey, I know you're stuck in sin, but God, I am so good that I'm not going to make you stay there. I'm going to pull you out of it so that you can have a life of purpose, a plan, and a calling on your life. And he loved you so much that he didn't let you stay in your sin. Yet we want to be able to like, oh, you're fine, you're fine. We can't do that. I don't get that privilege to set the standard for someone. Because my, my standard, come on in. No, no, I don't get that privilege. You don't get that privilege. I don't care how close a family member is to you. I don't care what the circumstances are. If it's sin, guess what you need to call it? Sin. And it's when you accept that that maybe God will give you compassion for it. Because how can God give you compassion for something that you're justifying? Let that sink in for a minute. All right. Verse 17, therefore come out from among unbelievers. See, what was happening is there was no, you couldn't, you couldn't tell the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. Because there was an idol, and they're all worshiping, and you choose your God, and I'll choose my God. So we got Jesus Christ on one, we got a temple God on another one, but we're all in the same building worshiping. Wait a minute, who do you worship? Are you worshiping this God, or are you worshiping this God? We got to get that idol out of this church, because we're worshiping one God. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the one that died on the cross. He's the one that rose again on the, on the third day. It's him. 
And so what we have to do is we have to eliminate and we have to set up, okay, this is the God we worship. Him and him alone. And I'm just telling you that the days are coming when you're going to have to know your scripture. You're going to have to know your Bible. You're going to be accepting every crazy theology that steps into the doors. So you're going to have to know what are the value systems of the kingdom. What is it that Jesus says about this? What is it about that Jesus says about this? Because here's the deal. Jesus doesn't hate the person. Jesus hates the sin because of it, what it does to the person. And that's what we forget. We put in their humanity and be like, oh my gosh, we love them so much. Do you understand what the sin is doing to them? I mean, if we had a person in here, we knew they could be 100% touched by, their, their body is being destroyed by cancer. We set them up here and be like, oh God, he loves you. Cancer's great. You're going to be fine. But yeah, we know we have something. If we just give, it, give them a pill, um, instantly they're, they're healed. Who, who loves who? If I keep the pill from them, and you just say, you're fine, you're fine. Who loves them, me or you? Right, the, re- the remedy to the broken world is Jesus Christ. It's him and him alone. So verse 17 says, come out. Here's the thing, is that you embrace, second point, you embrace what you were unwilling to move away from. You, you can't say that you love Jesus and yet you stay embraced to things like that, to the ways of this world. If you're dealing with pornography and that thing is, is attached to you and you're, you're, it's, sucking, it's sucking the life out of you, you, you have to be willing to walk away from that to be able to have what God has for you. If you're in a, a substance addiction and, and that's what you're clung, clinging to, at some point you have to be willing to say, okay, this thing is my idol. This thing, I have to come out from among it so that I can, so I can have true life. You, you, can't not, you can no longer embrace that because what it's doing is it's sucking life out of you. Anybody ever had any ticks on them? I hate them little rascals. Right? You know what they're doing? They're, they're sucking life out of you. They're taking blood from you. That's what the sin does. Sin is like ticks. That you don't sometimes see it. You finally begin to recognize and it. Begins, and, and it's like you got to pull that thing out. Because it's pulling from you. That's the nature of sin. Sin is destructive to your soul. Look, this world wants your loyalty. This is what we forget, that in this world, who's the king of this world? Who's the master of this world? Satan. And and sometimes we forget that, that what is Satan's goal? What what has been his main ambition from the very beginning? To steal worship. That is what he's going. So if he can get your loyalty, he gets your worship. Because how many of you know you worship what you're loyal to? I'm not talking about lifting hands and on your knees and all that type of worship. I'm talking about what gets your, all of your mind, your mental energy, what gets your feelings, your emotions, your time, your energy. That's what you worship. And what you become loyal to is what you begin to worship. And the enemy wants your loyalty because it wants your worship. I mean, how many of you know that when you watch a commercial, what, are they trying, what they're trying to do is to get loyalty, right? They want you to become committed to their branding. That's their goal. Why? Because they know if they get, their, you, if, if you, if they get your loyalty, they get your money. What's directly connected to your money? Your heart, right? That's what the Bible talks about. 
It gets your worship. This is, this is the main agenda. This is the desire that Satan wants is your worship. Come out from among them is resisting to allow the tendencies of this world, this culture, to be established as a belief system in yours. To come out among them says, I'm not going to accept that belief system. I'm going, to, I'm going to line up with what God says. And sometimes this costs you things. This means sometimes you have to walk away from a relationship. Sometimes you have to walk away from a career. There are certain things that there are different prices for different things. But here's the reality. Are you willing to trust God in it? Because whatever you separate yourself from, you eliminate its ability to influence you. If you leave this room, I can't influence you. There are people driving by the road right now at 45, 55 that they're driving like me, going by. And I'm preaching, telling about truth, but they're not hearing me. Why? Because I can't influence them because they're not close enough. So what happens is why he's saying separate yourself from the world is because it has this, an Ill, this inability to, I mean, this ability to influence you. And so when you separate yourself from it and you cling to me, you allow me to influence you instead of the world to influence you. And whatever the world is doing, it's, its values, its beliefs, its behaviors is what it's wanting to establish in your heart. This is what you should believe. This is how you should do it. This is, what you should, this is what a Christian looks like. You can love God and love the world. Where do you find that in Scripture? That's what the world has been seducing you to believe, that you can love this life and you can have this life. But Jesus says, come out from among them. You have to be willing to take a step and move away from what the world system is in this world and say, okay, I'm letting the Scriptures determine and set up my values. My convictions, what I believe is truth. Verse 18, I said all that to get to this because this, there's a payoff for walking away from the world. There are, there are things that can be established in your heart. And in verse 18, he uses this terminology. He says, I'll be a father to you. See, right now, if you're embracing the world, your father is the devil. And Jesus is saying, come out from among them. Let me be your father. Let the one that has redeemed you and has the power to restore you be your father. Here's what I'm learning as, as, as I see people be seduced by the world that the kingdom, there's always a counterfeit to God. There's always a counterfeit to the kingdom. They will offer you something. It's like, say, you know, it's like, the great value. And it's like, well, it's the same, but it's not the same. And so many times, this is what the world says. It's like, hey, it's cheaper, less commitment. It's, you're going to get the same consequence, same result. That's exactly what the devil wants. He wants you to settle for something less than the kingdom. And without the kingdom, you don't get the father. This is why we do what we do is because we want the father. We want to become sons and daughters. So it says this, and I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. This third and final point is this, is that the world will always be a counterfeit to the kingdom. There's always going to be a counterfeit father waiting for you. But as a father, 
if I knew that something was going to hurt one of my daughters, would you, I mean, y'all would send me to jail. If you knew that I was, I was just letting my little kid play out in the street on the, on the, on 102 out there. Like, oh, she's fine. She dodges cars all the time. She's really good at it. Y'all be like, dude, you're insane. That would be a bad father. A good father would be like, Jaylee, I know you're having fun, but you're going to get hit by a car. You're going to get out. And regardless of how much she cries, that is irrelevant. And so many times, we, this is what we do. Well, they're crying. They're emotional. They feel this. They feel this. So what? I love them enough to help pull them out of hell, pull them out of a, a, neg- a negative belief system, a lie, and put them into the kingdom of heaven. I love you enough to preach to you things that will offend you. I mean, I'm talented enough probably to preach things that would just build this church. Bring you, I could, be, I could do a Joel Osteen smile. How y'all doing? Your best days are ahead. That's not, I'm not saying to make fun of him. I'm just saying I could puff you up enough to get more people to come. But if I lead you down a road that doesn't lead to Jesus the Father, then I've done you in a disservice. And here's the thing. Clap with me all you want, but here's the thing. Who are we? Who are we leading? Because we're called to be people in a world that is a representation of the Father saying, come, you got to meet this Father. you got to meet my dad. He's a God who loves you. He is for you. He will pull you out of that. I know you may have been like that, but God can change you. He did it for me. We, we justify things in other people's lives that we know God has the power to transform because he did it in us. And instead of spending time and energy and action helping people pull away from things that are killing them, hurting them, breaking their lives, tearing their marriages apart, destroying their legacy. There has to be some people who rise up and say, okay, I'm called. You know, one of, I, I said this in the first episode. I don't want to say this. The, 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 one of my things I cannot stand, one of the shows I cannot stand, and I don't care if you watch this or not, you can still watch it. It's just my opinion. Is I cannot stand The Bachelor. The Bachelor, Bachelorette, whatever you want to call it, whichever series it is. And this is why. Because I can't stand how they have established relationships. That they have devalued what I have spent 15 years working hard to have. They try to tell you you can have this in six weeks. And we, we look at it. How many of y'all would want your daughter or your son to be, on a, uh, to be dating people like that? But yet we watch these things. And here's the thing. Here's why I can't stand it. Because what that does is it influences your ideology and your thoughts about relationships. It allows it to penetrate your heart and be like, well, you know, it's, and you begin to be, slowly begin to be okay with how dating and relationships are. I've worked my butt off to have the relationship I have with my wife. And so for someone to be able to go on a show and in six weeks, their life is magical. Notice the, notice the, the, the ratio of success in that. It's like one in a thousand. But yet, here's the thing. What does it do? It lures us in with drama, emotion, and feeling and tries to make us feel like that's okay. 
And I'm just using this as an example because this is in a lot of different other things that we could go into. But I wanted to use this as a reference point to be like, hey, what is setting the standard for you in relationships? What is setting the standard for you in marriage? Because, man, if you lose that marriage, you can just run to the next. There's going to be seven people waiting to give you a rose. And it establishes and it devalues the system and the structure which God has created in marriage. But this is, these are subtle things that slip in because it's funny, it's humorous. You got, oh, my heart, I really like this one. I hope she goes with him. And it pulls you in. And before you know it, you're cheering on a one person hoping that they land there, even though they've made out with 17 other people. And this is how subtle the enemy works. Here's the point. The devotion, your devotion is to a king, not a world system. As a believer, you don't get the privilege of being devoted to the world. You're called to be devoted to a king. His name is Jesus. I get, I get my assignments. I get the things that God is asking me to do from him, not the world. The world doesn't establish my value system. In a world where it is becoming harder and harder and more difficult and more challenging, I still get my assignments from the king. And if we're all honest, most of us that are broken and living counter scripture, we're trying to get the Father through the world and you're never going to get it. So many people, they just simply want a Father to love them in the Spirit. And they think that these other things are going to give them it to no avail. They go to the next thing, they go to the next thing, they go to the next thing. And when I'm just trying to help you know that, look, all they need is a Father that loves them. And you have what that is inside of you. You living a life that's undiluted, that's being distilled by the power of the Holy Spirit, making you more potent and your faith rising and becoming more strong and becoming more confident and becoming more bold. We love these stories of all these people in the scripture. Like, yeah, I'm going to be Esther, I'm going to be these. Do you realize that they were counterculture? That's why you love them. I mean, no one's, like, no one's out there trying to be Judas. Man, I can't wait. I'm going after being Judas. Like he is my he is my my standard. No, we're we thrive on the Pauls and the Peter and the Moses and Abraham and Esther and David and and Elijah and Elijah. And and Ruth. We we cheer on these people. Why? Because they were counterculture. We saw the power of when somebody goes with the way that God's ways, God always works out their way. But living a deluded life, you're never going to experience that. Y'all can stand with me as I close. Look, this is not, you got to understand, you got to hear me out. This whole thing come out from the world is not about you hiding and sheltering yourself from the world. That is not what this is about. This is about you recognizing the God-given destiny on your life and that you're going to reach a world because you're anointed, you're gifted, you have a calling, you're, you're, you're here for a reason. God gave you breath today in your body not to live a life of compromise. 
God gave you breath in your body to be all that you were called to be to do what you were called to do. And here's, here's what I want to pray. Because I believe that some of you, maybe you've been living an uncompromising life. I mean, a compromising life. You've been, you know, it's like on Sundays and maybe a couple days you're like, I'm all about Jesus. And then other days you're, your friends, your relationships begin to persuade the way that you talk, the way that you think, the way that you things that you listen to, the things that you watch. And then you get back on Sunday and you're like, man, I need to change my ways. That you've, you, you've finally realized, okay, it's time for me to come out from among them. To separate, to be what you've called me to be, God. To be bold about my faith, be full of love, be full of compassion. But at the same time, be intentional about what I'm called to be. And if that's you this morning, you say, that's me. I need to come out from among them. I need to be who God's called me to be. And I've allowed the culture, I've allowed the influences of this world to really reestablish my value system in certain areas and certain things. And this morning, I want to I admit and even repent, God, for allowing those things to be over you. If that's you this morning, I want to ask if you just slip your hand up all over this place. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands. Come on, this is a bold statement. This is great that you're admitting because God can't change what you don't, what you don't accept. So, Father, you see every hand raised. And God, let this not just be about raised hands. God, let this be about hearts being changed and convicted to, to live a life that's a different standard. So, Father, I pray right now, God, that you would distill them. God, that you would purify their hearts. God, that you would purify, God, the relationships that are around them. God, that you would give them the strength to separate themselves. Father, we thank you, God, for what you're doing in this moment. Lord, we know that we're exposing the enemy for who he is right now. And so, Lord, I pray right now, God, for them. Pray for your protection over them, God. I pray for your grace and your mercy. God, I pray that we would view sin differently. God, that it would it would offend us in a way that we would be willing to pray for those people, that we would be willing to have a conversation with them. God, let it move our lives. We thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing, even in this room today, God. We thank you right now, God, for hearts coming back to you in a real, true, authentic way. God, where apathy, apathy is, is, is rampant, God, I thank you that you would dissolve apathy, God. Where complacency is there, I pray that you would dissolve complacency, God. Lord, where passion has been pushed over and, and been called religion, God, I thank you right now, God, for relationships, God, being refueled in the spirit. God, I thank you, God, right now for the spirit of God to come and rest on hearts. God, that people would begin to see the scriptures as truth, not as suggestion, God, I think that people will begin to see the scriptures, God, as directions and assignments. And Lord, a standard, a value system, God, that is set up by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That our Father loves us, that he is for us, that he wants us to be in deep, intimate fellowship with him. And Father, that we would 
that we would be broken for humanity in the state that it's in. We thank you, Jesus, right now for the transformation that you're doing in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, we thank you. This morning, maybe you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior. And this morning, it's time. You're saying it's time. I need to give my life to him. I've given it to the world. It's failed me over time, over and over again. And maybe you've said yes to the Lord in years, but you've been, you've been so disconnected from him. And you're like, today is the day I'm coming back to know the Lord, to be intimate with him. If that's you on either one of those this morning, I want to ask you to raise your hand real quick so I can pray with you. Say, I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. Thank you for that hand. Or I'm recommitting my life. Thank you for that hand. Anybody else this morning? You said, that's me. I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm recommitting my life to the Lord this morning. Come on, if you would pray this prayer with me. Just say, dear Heavenly Father, I admit I'm a sinner. But I believe you, Jesus, died for those sins. That you rose again on the third day to be my Lord, my Savior. I ask you, Jesus, reveal the destiny and the purpose you have for my life. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's give them a hand this morning. We love you guys. We hope you have an incredible week.